Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. This is a series finale of uh, From Trauma to Testimony, and I want to conclude this, and, but not conclude the work. But I want to conclude this series with a message I've titled, On Your Way Back to Better. And I want to thank you uh, for your feedback. Uh, personal notes sent to me, sharing a little bit about your story, which is a courageous thing to do. And I'm with you. I'm with you in that. Thank you for all that feedback. Thank you for the prayers. And to our live stream audience, as I mentioned, thanks, buddy. Our live stream audience, which has doubled, tripled in size, which is so um, encouraging, but thank you. And, and listen, um, you don't have to do this, of course, but it would be, no, I would love to hear where you're from. You know, we have all these numbers out there, but we'd love to hear you let us know where you're from, where you're watching from, and we, uh, we welcome you in. We're talking about trauma, uh, not just trials, not just tests, not just temptations, not just the everyday and many days struggles, but trauma, which is stuff that happens or can happen in life that's deeply distressing, disturbing, things that you don't get over. You don't forget. They don't just disappear even if your life gets better, even with Jesus. Um, they can hurt and have a hold and they can harm and as I've said a couple of times, I can only articulate a very little of this, but I have experiences in this as in my own life. Um, and as some of you have shared with me and others who haven't shared, no need to unless you want to, but I know you're there too. At the beginning of the year, when most pastors are pressured to come up with a uh, a game plan for the next year, what you heard up on the holy mountain, like nobody else, and a vision for the future, and all that, and whether Trump or Obama's or Biden or whoever's going to win, we all know, don't we, because we're preachers, we all know. But instead of that, the Lord just told me to step back and don't move forward, not that I know any of those answers anyway, but uh, um, to not move forward and stop because he sees those who are hurting. The things you've gone through and I've gone through, some of those things might be the same, some of those things might be different. But I know in those things at times you feel like you're the only one and at other times you feel like you can't tell people what you're going through. But here's what I want to let you know. You know if you've been through and are in trauma, you're in Bible company. I was thinking about different stories in the Bible, and you read the story, you flip the chapter, and on you go to the next part. But did you ever stop and give pause and time for people to actually flesh out? For instance, Noah. 
We, we think about Noah and he built the ark and he heard the Lord and da 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 and they got through it and then the rainbow and everything was wonderful. But think about Noah. Think about Noah witnessing the, the universal drowning of all humanity except for him and seven other human beings. You don't come out of that and look at Mrs. Noah and go, dude, that was wild, wasn't it? If you really read and flip the page, Noah kind of nips into the vino a little heavy. And all the fundamentalists judged him and moved on with their lives. Have you ever witnessed the drowning of humanity? Just saying. How about Abraham? Well, we got the this story, the hero story, the that story, the faith story. Faith, 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 faith. And Noah had faith too, right? But you know, Abraham watched the Lord incinerate with his own eyes a whole city of people. Well, they just... That's... And, and his nephew was there. And his nephew's wife kind of didn't make it out. Lot got out, but he didn't get out, did he? And his two daughters got out, and then... They came up with an idea. This is, I'm not saying that this is why, but you know, they came up with an idea. Let's get, this, is, this, is not, this isn't Sunday school. Let's get our dad drunk and then let's... Two boys come out of that thing, Ammon and Moab. That's trauma. You go down through a few generations in the line of the Moabites, and you come across this young woman who comes on the stage in the Bible in the midst of God's big redemption story that she knows nothing about in her time. Nothing. She didn't know what that was. Why would she know that? And when we come to a book of the Bible that is actually named after her name, Ruth, some of my favorite old-timer, old-school pastor preachers, one of them particularly calls the, the book of Luke the gospel according to Luke because there's so many shadows and types of Jesus and the plan uh, regarding Israel and the Gentile world and all this. It's everywhere. But they didn't know any of that in the midst. When we come to that story, we're introduced to it this way about a woman named Naomi and, and what took place in her life. She was married to a man named Eliad Melech, which comes from two Hebrew words, Eli meaning God, and Melech means king. God is king. What a name, cool name, right? Eli Melech and Naomi, uh, are, 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 they have two sons, and then Eli Melech dies, leaves Naomi as a widow, but she has two sons. I don't know if you've lost a spouse for whatever reason, but that's not an easy thing to get over. But then 10 years go by, and you know, as you get older, 10 years, when you're a kid, 10 years could seem like 10,000 years. But when you get to be a little older, like in your 40s, like me, 10, year, <laughs> 10 years can seem like 10 seconds. Yeah. And in those 10 years, her two sons die. And it says it this way, then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married <clears throat> Moabite women. Yeah. 
Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and if your brain's weird like mine, you're thinking Oprah already. And I'm praying, and I'm praying I won't say Oprah down the road because every time I even read it, I, I usually say Oprah in my mind because I'm so used to that. But I'll try not to. Uh, Orpah, Orpah, and then you think of the whale. If you're an '80s guy, you think of the story, the movie. Orpah, uh, she was probably cute. I don't know. And Orpah, <laughs> and the other woman had a normal name, Ruth. But about 10 years later, both, and I'm doing a little laughter because we're going to go and we're going into the surgical room. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know. I'll try not to cry this week. <laughs> and Katie will laugh if I cry anyway, so what's the matter? <laughs> and I don't care as long as you bring me cookies from time to time. Just keep, keep, keep them. All right, let's get into it. But 10 years later, both Melon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons or her husband, without her two sons. Short version of the story, she goes back to her homeland, Bethlehem of all places. She didn't know Bethlehem was gonna play such a redemptive role. Did anybody read the Bible and Bethlehem sort of plays a role? She doesn't know this. She's just going back to some kind of familiarity. And she exhorts the, with love. She exhorts lovingly to her two daughters-in-law to go back to their home, to their roots, and she actually says to their gods. We'll read that in a minute. She has nothing for them. She has nothing for herself. But Ruth, and let's keep going, but Ruth clings tightly to Naomi, and Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. See, when you are a God person, or even the real God person, and you're hit with trauma, you can kind of think, we're not here to judge, we're just saying what can happen in trauma. We look, you can think, well, maybe, hey, maybe he's better, maybe he'll help you, or they'll, what's the point? There's, there's, maybe there's no difference in life. My life's no different than the person... You know, even the psalmist tell us that. I look and see the wicked prospering God. Where... See, those things get real, real when those real things happen to real believers. And I'm here to say that Jesus is trying to stop the train before we all move on in the victory club and say, there are real people with real things, real gut things in their life, and I'm not moving the victory club forward. We're going to minister to these people. And she says, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. This is coming from Ruth the Moabite who just doesn't bring an ancestral background in. Think of this, she brings an incestuous background in. Yeah. Bible doesn't hide it. Incestuous. Her whole family line and tribe is stigmatized. Oh, you're the Moabites. Then her husband dies at a young age. She has no covering. She has no financial protection. In that world, the woman couldn't go, well, I'm going to go out and get a job. Didn't work that way. There was no 
nothing for you. But God in his love in the law provides something for people like that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ruth doesn't want to go back, but she has no hope forward. All she knows, and again, I'm asking you if your things are great in your life right now, thank God. Hallelujah, man, give me some. But think about, give some space to people that are in these kind of places. Because it's not only the world that's in these kind of places, there are people in the ministry in these kind of places. There are people in the church in these kind of places. She doesn't want to go back, but she doesn't have any hope to go of what's forward. All she knows is her mother-in-law, who is deeply embittered after three deaths herself. All she knows is there's something about her and her God roots I want to cling to. What we said about when you're in trauma, you can be going along and think everything's right, and then you can hear a song, you can see a face, you can be reminded, and you can get triggered, and then up from the basement of your past, these things that have been repressed or denied, they're just there, and you can't get rid of them, even with a Bible verse, they're there. The residue and the wreckage, the fear ofs come back. The trust who and trust what is back at you again. Your mental maps about the Bible and God and the church and the nation and yourself and your family and all men and all women and all those and theys. The paradigm shifts back into pain and you're redefined in yourself. You redefine the world and then what now means I don't know and who am I means I don't know and who are you, God, I thought I know, I thought I knew and who are you, Jesus? Well, I thought, I've had people for 32 years in my office at times saying I was always raised up in church to believe that Jesus would, God would. Trauma can define us and create concrete in which our progress stops. And what are the signs? I've talked about them. We can choose wrong roads. I've, cho- I've done it. Others have done it. This is not to judge. This is just to let you know God sees you, okay? You can move away from everything. You can shrink back and disappear. You can move toward the same thing over and over and over again not even knowing why, you can get attracted to the trauma thinking it's not one. The familiarity of it just calls you in and you don't even realize it until you're in the same thing again. Or you can be in the fight, fight, fight club. I don't say that to demean, I say that there's stuff that's not been healed and so anything is a fight, everything's a fight. Do you recognize any of these traits in Naomi? Look what she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant, she responds. Now read this closely. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And then look what she says. Here's what trauma can do. It can redefine God in your life. Here's what she says. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away, look at this. I went away full I went into the ministry on fire, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has caused me to suffer? 
and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. But please, 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 there's a part of some of us, we've been raised up with all the answers in the book, and we want to run to Naomi and give her a book on the sovereignty of God, or a message from Spruill, or, so, or something that this guy said, or that guy said, or have you heard this guy's sermon? Or you, we want to come and say, no, 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 let me fix you right here, right here's the verse for that. No, no. This woman needs to breathe. This woman has to process through. She's in concrete, gripped by it. And we zoom in and we look. But what we don't see and what she didn't see and what Ruth didn't know was somebody else was zooming in and it was the Lord himself. See, here's the thing. You can say those things out loud and we get trained that we're not even supposed to say those things. We keep it inside because that's some sort of faith. And it's not faith, it's denial. Until we get out what's in us, God can't put in us what's not there. Does the aftermath of hardships in your life, heartaches, hurts, make it more than hard to hope that things will ever be good again? The truth is, to the degree of the intensity of my trauma, I have found the intensity of the attraction of Jesus to be there for me. And he wants that for you. He cared for Naomi when Naomi didn't feel it. And he came to her, and he also comes to Ruth, who not only has an ancestral background, but an incestuous one. On your way back to better, there has to be a starting point. Here's the starting point. Throw all, this is what Ruth did, Throw all your hopelessness, hurts, and sin toward the God of heaven. That's what she's saying to Naomi. And here's the thing about it, church, though. We got to be careful. This is something that when you're in trauma, it's better to realize it's going to have to be a continuous action, not just a one-time thing. Well, there's a service, there's a, there's a on your way back to better conference and in three days it's all gonna be zipped to do I'm gonna turn the corner. Can he not do that? Yes, he can, but few of the people I've met who will honestly say that's the way it worked. Throw all your hopelessness, hurts and sin toward the God of heaven, maybe by the hour, maybe by the days, Months. And here's what I say to you. To do it at all is a courageous thing to do if you've lived in hopelessness. To do it all is a courageous thing to do. And to do it again is courageous. And again is courageous because you're supposed to be fixed. And it's all supposed to work out in the time frame that whatever. And you come to find out you make others comfortable if you haven't gotten better yet and you're not dancing in the joy of it. It can make people, but you have to do it for you. You have to do it for you. You have to do it, not for the church, not for the ministry, not for your family, not for your friends, for you. And he'll help you do it. 
Ask him to give you the courage to keep doing it. Like David, give ear to my words, O Lord. Hear my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer. He didn't, I'm ordering you. I'm ordering my prayer to you, and I'm eagerly watching. Throw all your hopelessness. This is what Ruth did. She said, don't ask me to leave. I'm not turning back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people, my people, your God, my God, all the way to death. That's a starting point. I remember in my sophomore year of college, I came across this quote. I was in chapel, and not from somebody. I was just, I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't on the internet because it was the 80s, but uh, I don't know what I was doing. But I came across this quote, and I wrote it in my old Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Anybody have a Thompson? You're 100 years old, too? Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I wrote it in it. I still have that Bible, and I, I looked it up to make sure it was accurate. It says this, when I could not see any other resort, I would place my whole reliance in God, knowing that all would go well and that he would decide for the right. This was written by a dad after his 11-year-old son died of a sickness. His name was Willie, and this was the 16th president of the United States named Abraham Lincoln, and he wrote it after Willie's death in the middle of the country being torn to pieces during the Civil War. When I could see no other resort. I would place my whole reliance in God, knowing that all would go well and that he would decide for the right. The starting point is throw all your hopelessness, all your hurt, all your sin, all of you into the God of heaven's arms and over and over again. On your way back together to, to better, there's a starting point. But there are also turning points. And we talk a lot about man turning to God and man turning to God. And there's a part of that. But I want you to see something. The Lord turns his kind intentions toward those who turn to him. And I believe that God recognizes a turning to him even before we do. Naomi was turning to God, although she didn't really would say that. And she would say, I'm not doing that. I'm just going back home. You know, you just, sometimes you just got to get home. But here's what the Lord said in Isaiah 55. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you'll find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promise to David. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he's near. Let the wicked change their ways, banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Turn to our God for he will forgive generously. The word mercy in the Old Testament comes from the word hesed and it means way more than just, but oh, thank God for forgiveness of sins. But mercy means way more than that. It's a power-packed word, far more than forgiving. It means the kind intentions download from the Lord toward you. What does mercy look like? You see it when what happens with Ruth. It's about God turning and pouring on your present state of life and for the future, a fatherly loving kindness flooding you. There's a starting point, there's a turning point. Ruth did just so, Naomi didn't as much, but she did go back 
to our roots. And sometimes all you can do before you can start doing a bunch of things is just sit, just get in a place, sit, stand, wait, be still. And sometimes that's worship even when you don't think it is. God knows it is. The Lord will release loving kindness to you as he promised. Do you know that the loving kindness of the Lord toward people is the natural response of his heart? Judgment and wrath is a strange work of the Lord. Jeremiah even says this in Lamentations. He says, fury is not in me. I do not delight in it. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Judgment and wrath is a strange work from the Lord. The natural tendency of his heart is to pour loving kindness on the wretched, on the poor, on the pitiful, on the left behind, on the broken, on the shipwrecked, and the shipwreckers. When we turn, he's already turned. The staying points. Let's talk about the staying points. There's a starting point, a turning point, and there are some major, and this is where we're going to land, staying points, staying points. The first one is stay in his fields of favor. Stay in his fields of favor. Watch this. Because it's in his fields of favor that he promises to feed us. This means... This means, you know, there's a lot of people that know the Bible. A lot of us know the Bible. But there is a way to read the Bible that can keep you as a stranger and an orphan and even strap more bondage chains on you. And then there's a way to read the Bible that lifts that off. And I call it staying in the word the Spirit's way. I call it uh, allowing the author of the word to really share the word with you in the context of his heart. For instance, Simon Peter says it like this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Watch, now that you've tasted that the Lord is what? Mm. The Lord is good. NIV says, or New American Standard says it this way, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect of salvation if you've tasted what? The kindness of the Lord. The context of the author is the best way to study the Bible. In the context of the author, the heart of the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, of course, God Almighty, the inspiration of it is the loving kindness. Reading the word, as I said last week, the way to get better is by receiving the tender words of Jesus to you, which we can feel that we are to push back. Never, Lord, never, never. You'll never, no, 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 no. He says, and then you can't have intimacy with me. So then Peter said, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head. We have to get that open to receiving the tenderness. God's already proven it. Look how the Lord works in Psalm 107. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food. Have you ever been in such trauma that you've forgotten to eat not only for days, but for three, four days, week? Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Have you ever felt like that when you weren't literally dying, but your whole life was crashing down? Have you ever told nobody but God that you wanted to die? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. How did he do it? Look, he sent his word 
and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Then notice what David says. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his what? His loving kindness and for the wonders to the sons of men. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, wonderful Bible teacher, pastor, he, he says, God, what the Bible is about is God literally writing himself into the story of broken lives. And he talks about this author who was writing this novel, and she, so, she said, I, I so fell in love with the, one of the characters and the brokenness of their life that I had to actually write myself as the new character in the story and fall in love with them. That's what God did. We see it in the gospel according to Ruth, this person called the kinsman redeemer. Old Testament talks about if a fellow Israelite becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've sold. Or if you're a widow, if you're a widow, then the, the relative, nearest kin relative of your husband that died uh, has an has a obligatory uh, uh, command from the, from the God of heaven to move toward your life if, he, if he's a single guy or whatever, and not necessarily be married, but to assure in the name of the husband that died, assure in this close kinsman relationship that you redeem this person, they don't fall into debt, they don't go without, and even the liberty of marry such if so. This is what takes place in the life of Naomi in the life of Ruth. This man's name is Boaz. Boaz put Ruth in a prosperous place. And then he told his workers, leave the good stuff in front of her feet. Leave the good stuff there for her. We know it's a symbol, but it really happened, but it's a shadow, it's a, it's a prophetic voice that there's one coming who's not just going to do this for, for Ruth, but he's going to do it for all of us, enter Jesus. This is why he had to be made a man, take hold of our humanity in every way. He was made our brother, and we are his brothers and we're his sisters, so he could become a merciful, there's that word, it's more than just forgiveness, it's this loving kindness, download, pour out on the sons and daughters who get under the blood, removing not only our sin, but bringing us into this new life with this kinsman that stands before God Almighty and ever lives to enact that favor. Stay in the fields of favor and he'll feed. And then another one is stay under his covering because he'll protect you there. Naomi tells Ruth after all this has happened and Ruth comes back from work every night and she's blessed and she's fed and she brings back basketfuls to Naomi and family and she realizes and Naomi finds out whose field she's in and she's like, oh, that's our kinsman. That's Boaz. He's related to Elimelech. He's related to God as king. He's in relationship with God as king. Do the math. He's a kinsman redeemer. And Naomi says, get where he is and get at his feet and get under his covering. In the night, the kinsman redeemer is sleeping. He's, he's overseeing the fields, 
of his servants, harvesting the grain, and at night, he's at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is where you separate the wheat from the tares. And that's where he is. And Naomi sends Ruth to that place and says, at night, lay at his feet. And if he wakes, ask him to do this. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you're my kinsman redeemer. And this happens. She goes there at night, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he asks, who are you? And here's her answer. I am your servant. What does it mean to be under the covering? We say to the Lord, in, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of all this shipwreck, in this, I am, I'm, your, I'm bonded to you and your purposes. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me. For you, I recognize you. You are my kinsman redeemer. The woman with the issue of blood, she wants to touch the kinsman redeemer. If I just touch his robe, the leper comes and says, if you, if you, I get on, he got on his knees, he be, if you're willing, if, if, if you're if, willing, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever... He says to the woman who's been married five times, living with another guy, comes at the time when no one's there. And he says, if you knew the gift God has for you, this is who he is. And for all those that think asking the Lord to cover you up with his clothes, you're a Marbell man, you're a out in the field man, you're a truck driver, you're Tim the Tool Man. Well, here's a scripture for you so you don't feel so... A little bit weird. Uh, Paul, everything was a gain to me. I have considered it a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything a loss in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. Consider it as dung that I might gain Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind Reaching forward to what's ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ. In other words, he's my king, he's my Lord. Hebrews tells us to do it. Bring all of your faith, come to the king priest, come to Jesus the Messiah, come to the son of God. He rose into heaven's realm and he deeply sympathizes with our frailties, with our weaknesses. He's still looking out over the fields and he says, I have a heart for these people. They're without a shepherd and we need to go and touch their lives. He stops and he waits and he puts in the front of the sermon if you are breathless, if you're crushed, if you're in mourning, you're first. I'm here for you. It was the gospel. And it needs to have a big comeback. Stay under his covering and he'll protect. It's promised. Staying points, that's one. Here's another. Stay with his wounded healing Servants. Paul identifies this kind of ministry within the people of God that the heart of Jesus longs for. He says, let's go to the next one. He says, uh, my, no, that's not it. Uh, let's go to the next one. That's not it. Let's go to the next one. 
I'm doing like uh, Jenkins, I left you behind. Uh, is that it? That's not it. One more. And uh, one more. It's uh, the Galatians 6 verse. Well, I don't know. What do you have? Let's try what you have. No, I'm just kidding. Bring all the tithes into the... All right, let me just read it to you. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, the one who is in the spirit should seek to restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Watch this though. But keep watch over your own heart so that you won't be tempted to exalt yourself over him. But keep watch over your own heart so that you won't be tempted to exalt yourself over him. If you think you're somebody too important to stoop down to help another, you're living in deception. All right, next slides. The Boaz went over. Look, listen, listen to Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. This is echoing the heart of Jesus for us. We've been in trauma and we found a field of faith. We found a field of favor. Watch what Boaz says. He goes over to Ruth. He says, listen, my daughter, stay right here. Stay right here. Stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go to any other fields. This isn't talking about you not going to any other church. This is talking about staying in the lane of the humble, wounded, healing servants. Stay right there. This is the kind of church we must be. We must be. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. Listen to the Lord Jesus speaking to people right now. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. A staying point is connecting to the wounded healing servants. And then he says, I've, this, listen to this. Folks, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. In contrast to connecting to the wounded, healing servants, in contrast, be careful you're not in the fixer's lane. The fixer's lane. Like Job's friends. If, if, if there was a concert, a, a Fixers for God concert with the bands that would be there, I'll tell you who there would be there. Uh, the, the, on the list, there'd be the band called The Whatabouts. They look at you and you go, they, well, what about, what about, what about, what about? Another band after them that would come out, The Supposed to Be's. Da, 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 that's supposed to be, ladies and gentlemen. Well, isn't it supposed to be? And aren't you supposed to be? And aren't you supposed to be? supposed to be. This is the Fixers Conference. 
One of their best songs is the always and the never. God always and never. So if you're not in the always and the never, what's wrong with you? And then, to close out the night, here comes the if you woulda's. Listen, you know what, if you woulda, if you wouldn't have married the, well look, that's what they, I mean they died, who knows, probably God, I mean they married an, into an incestuous fan. I know she was cute, but you know, she was a Moabite. So if you woulda, Job's friends, let me see, you know, who needs an enemy when you have a Job's friend? <laughs> listen closely. Job's friends, listen closely, interrogated Job in his sufferings and traumas with assumed Bible verses. I think it's funny when I see people post uh, verses from Job and it's, and, it's, and it's in the context of one of Job's friends. And they're like, and you're like, oh, God. Here's the, here's the dangerous thing about the fixer's leaven, and we can fall in it. I've been in it. Listen closely. They quoted true biblical passages out of the context of God's heart for Job. Boy, there isn't anything that will mess you up worse than that. If you're looking for answers from God, and you find the generalized answer, but it's not in the context of what God was trying to get through to Job. Here's the thing about Job's friends. They had Job as a project, but he wasn't their project, he was God's. Oh, there are wimpy Bible stabbers out there. And you look at people that are struggling and hurting and you have to steady their ark. And ignorantly, you're doing that to some people that are soldiers and leaders who carry war scars and have been in major kingdom battles that you've never even dreamed of stepping into. But you've got an answer and you've got an exposure. But don't worry, friend. God will put you in places so you'll feel what those warriors have felt. You don't think so? God says, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. But if you've been traumatized by Job's friends, this is hard. And God turned the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. You might have to listen to this one a couple times and maybe send it out to somebody. If you see a brother overtaken with a fault, in the spirit of gentleness, restore such a one. But keep a watch over your own heart lest you be tempted to exalt yourself over him. Boaz says, I've warned the Bible club fixer people around my harvest field not to be rough on you, Ruth. 
Not to be rough on you, Ruth. Search for wounded healing servants. What does a wounded healing servant look like? They're open. They're honest about their own stuff. I, I, I used to be able to listen to everybody, but when you go through things that, that, that you feel like a foreigner on earth, I can't listen to people that don't show me at least one card in their poker hand about something tough they went through or some failure they had or some struggle that was real. I can't listen to the fixers. I don't believe them. A wounded healing servant is open, honest about their own stuff. It's under the table in open fellowship with the Lord and the people of God in grace. It's not under the rug. Mephibosheth's weaknesses were under the table at the king's banquet, not under the rug in denial like they were something. The, the, the wounded healing servants that the God have brought into my life have very little time for finger pointing. And they have a quiet spirit regarding other people's stuff, but they're very conversant and connected with grace. Say this with me. Everybody... In his, body, in his body, needs at least, needs at least one, good buddy. one good buddy. Guy to guy, girl to girl. Just say it. <laughs> She's healing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Sure. Also, I also heard that song, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. That can come quickly. Great discernment leaves when love bug bites. When you've been through trauma, you're needy, you're hurting. Everybody, everybody in his body needs at least one good buddy. You don't have to repeat this, but sometimes the best thing a good buddy can say is, You're nuts, dude. Don't move. Don't. Come on. I did a, I've done a leadership lesson. It's probably my best one because the only one that's true. Um, lessons I've learned living on Dum Dum Street. It's a... Here's what Boaz says. May the Lord, the God of... Next slide. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. That's what... Because what did she do? She got in the right field. She, got, she allowed the baskets that he filled. She took them. She ate them. She incarnationally received. I hope I continue to please you, sir, Ruth said. You've comforted me by speaking so kindly to me. That's Jesus, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz calls her, come over here and I'll help. And I love this, Jesus, come over here, help yourself to some food. You can, you can dip your bread in the sour wine. Does that sort of ring a bell? Any, does that remind you of any like meal 
with, a, with 12 friends around a table. Take your bread, dip it in wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. That rings a bell, too. Do you know it was barley bread in the field? Do you know what kind of bread the little boy had with the five loaves and two? It was barley bread, and they fed the multitude out in a field, and every servant that worked for the kinsmen that day had how many baskets full at the end? Twelve. Isn't that interesting? When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, this is the Lord, let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. I'm sorry. Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. This is the goodness of the Lord. He puts in front of our path, if we're in the turning, if we're in the staying, if we're walking in these principles that God's revealing to us, he drops stuff in front of us. There's a massive download from heaven, kind intentions of his will, Paul describes in Ephesians 1, toward us. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it was filled an entire basket. Rings a bell with me. She carried it back into town, showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. Next verse. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Stay with me in this. The women of the town said to Pleasant, who said, no, 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 who had been so traumatized that her God name was put aside. She renamed herself to match her trauma. But God had women around as grace began to be birthed, and they kept calling her by the name that she was ordained to be called. The people of God kept calling the woman in trauma the name that she was ordained to be called. <clears throat> and they began to celebrate the embryonic birthings of the loving kindness of the Lord toward her life. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided, ready, a redeemer for your family. Not just you, your fam. May this child be famous in Israel. What an understatement. Do you know who this kid is? Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. Obed. Stay with me. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. 
God can't work in a family that's come out of or through or still is in the stigma of incest. Can he? Have you read the genealogical line of Jesus' family? Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Jesus was the son of David. On the way to what? Better. I close with this. Would everyone stand? This is... Hey, your trauma, and it is your trauma, Your trauma is not the story. Your testimony is being written through it. Part of the pages in Naomi's life was she had been so traumatized that she knew what happened and why it happened God did it. He sent me out into a good thing full, and look what he did. How many of you, hey, have you ever said, I'll never, ever again, I'll never, ever join another church. I'll never open my heart up and befriend a group of, I'll never. If that's a blessing, what I just went through, I'll just go back over here into no man's land. Or anything that looks like that's going to happen to me or to somebody else, I'm going to melt your face off. I'm going to spend the rest of my life ragging the church, the church, the organized church. I want to be a part of the organized church. I'm not going to be a part of it. Then I'm going to be an independent. Independent of who? will be a non-denominational denomination. We're not going to follow man. We're going to follow God. All that, that's trauma talking. The difference in the wounded, healing believer. It's all a we. It's not a me versus them. It's not a they and an us. It's a The Lord today wants us to pray over each other. We throw our hopelessness at Jesus over and over again. And we stand in a field of grace. We open our life to the Lord. All of us do it together. What Ruth says, Lord, 
in life and death. Where you go, I'll go. Where you are, that's where I want to be. You'll be my God. I want to live under your covering. I want to live under your, at your feet. I open up the basket of my life and with courage, I'm going to believe in my hopelessness that your kindness has turned my way. And again, when you've done that and it all turns bad, it's so hard to just grab a verse or grab a, God knows. The wonderful helper of the Spirit. I love it where it says, and the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we have a high priest king, Jesus, who is able to feel sympathy for our weakness. So come so you can find mercy, the download of the floodgates of loving kindness from God to you. And those with bitterness have redefined their life and killed their call, killed their consecration in the concrete of the past. The people of God are saying, look, there's embryonic possibilities offered for you. Open your eyes and believe. I want to ask the Naomi's, the Mara's, the Ruth's. We have no record of anything that happened in Orpah's life, right? After? But we have Ruth who got into the red thread of the redemptive work in her time. She had no idea of the people that were going to come near and the births of new things that were going to go generationally down through her life after her life that was going to be right smack in the lane of the messianic work of God in the world. That's for you. That's way beyond my belief. You can't tell me that Naomi could. If they had met her at the gates of Bethlehem, say, let me tell you what this is. Let me give you chapter. You're in chapter two. Let me read chapter five. That's you. No. I encourage you to take courageous steps. Why don't we find a place at the threshing floor? Right here. A place at the threshing floor. This is for Naomi. This is for Mara. This is for Ruth. This is for my brother, my sister, family members, kids. This is for the why nots and how comes and where'd you go and you're and you're surrounded by the fixers and the band, the whatabouts and the and I always do's and all that. And you just want to lay that aside, not to shame and blame, but you just want to lay that stuff at the threshing floor and you want the Lord Himself to separate that chaff off the floor of your soul so that He can fill you with abundance of love. Would you join me around this altar? And we're just going to pray. This band, they've, they've put a song together that fits this so real. And let's let the Lord add to our basket. Maybe he'll overflow it today. 
Maybe he'll start filling it and feed you back. But the overflow is in front of you, friend. Your healing is in front of you. You're on the way to better. Heavenly Father, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You said you came into the synagogue. You came into the house of the friends. And you say, the Spirit of the Lord's on me to heal the brokenhearted, to recover the sight of those who are blind to who God is, blind to who they are. You've come to recover their sight. You've come to tell those in the back dungeons that the door's already been unlocked and the gate is open and you can come out into the light. Release them to this courageous step today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.